I can hardly think of a, a better church to be in on Pentecost Day than St. Luke's Hilton Head. That's because of your leadership and because of the congregation and your openness to the gospel and the power of the Spirit uh, amongst you. Please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn, convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for your greater glory. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me draw your attention to the words that Jesus spoke uh, that Kathy just read, read for us at the conclusion of the Gospel reading. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. My translation says, helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he, will, he dwells with you and will be in you. He will be with you and he will be in you. He also made another promise that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. With, in, and on. I could ask these young men and women being confirmed here what with, in, and on grammatically are, and they would tell me they're prepositions, Bishop. I want to talk this morning about the prepositions of Pentecost. And if I were to ask them the definition of a preposition, they would be able to tell me, right, that a preposition is a word that, that comes before a noun or a pronoun in the sentence, in order to describe the relationship of that noun or pronoun to another noun or pronoun in the sentence. <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit will be with you, in you, and upon you. But before we get to those three prepositions and talking about what they signify... I need to remind you about a word the Apostle Paul gave the church, a warning. He said, do not, do not, do not grieve the Holy Spirit in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Now let's face it, you cannot grieve a thing or an it. You can run your car into a tree and you might be grieved, but the car's not grieved. The car's damaged, but it's not grieved. You can get frustrated with a tool and throw it across your workbench and the tool is not grieved because it's a thing or an it. But when Paul says you do not grieve the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about a thing or an it. He's talking about the third person of the Godhead. He's talking about the greatest being in the world who can be grieved by people like you and me. He can't be grieved by what we do and by what we say and by what we think and how we act. The context in which Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He goes on to say, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Don't let that be in your life, because it will grieve the Holy Spirit. There are times that the Holy Spirit, during a worship service like this, draws near to us and begins to do a work within our lives of healing and redemption and transformation. And we leave here with a sense of His presence. But before long, because of how we've behaved and the things we've said, He withdraws. He doesn't leave us, but He withdraws a little bit almost as if to protect himself. Have you ever been in a gathering, perhaps, of people you've just met, or even a group of long-time friends, and you're having a, 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 just a delightful time with them, but one of them starts going off and maybe tells an off-color joke, makes a rude comment, or perhaps you've been at a dinner table sometime with a group of of family members and everyone is having a very collegial, warm family, familial, friendly time and then someone says something that hurts or wounds or shames or embarrasses someone else at the table and all of a sudden there's a change in the atmosphere. Maybe it's you that's been wounded. And you kind of withdraw within yourself. Back away. And, and sometimes you, you try to regain the camaraderie and the fellowship and the joy. It's gone. That's why Paul says, Do not grieve the Spirit of God who has sealed you and yet we can. We can grieve the Holy Spirit who is with us today 
and maybe powerfully present with us this morning by the way we treat the waiter or the waitress that serves us at lunch. Or the way we relate to the people in our family, the way you speak to your spouse, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit when, when we as a congregation of people begin to be at odds and resentful and bitter towards one another. You see, one of the things that happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came upon those 120 disciples there in the upper room is it moved them from being consumers of grace to communicators of the gospel. It transformed them from being protectors of private turf to players on a common team. It moved them from being self-centered believers in Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to Spirit-sent disciples. And one of the things that can happen within a congregation to grieve the Holy Spirit is when groups and individuals become more protective of their private turf rather than players on a common team. I know there have been times that one group within the congregation that I served became at odds with another group or the odds of the leadership or whatever it is and they were protecting their little private domain. And it doesn't happen in a church like this, I'm sure. But it begins to grieve the Spirit of God and all the things that God wanted to do and accomplish was grieved by that. And we start talking about negatively, negatively to and about one another, to one another. And then the Holy Spirit says, I, I think I'll just take a seat in the back until you guys work this out. Look, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away. I'm going to be crucified and on the third day raised from the dead. But I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. But I will send you another like unto myself. That is, when he says, another like unto myself, even the Advocate, even the Spirit of Truth, what he's saying is, look, everything that I have done when I was among you in the flesh, the Spirit of God whom I'm going to send among you will do everything that I did. If you ask yourself what Jesus did when he walked this earth in the flesh, he taught his disciples, he guided his disciples, he healed people, not only who were his disciples, but even people who were not. He delivered people who were caught up in dark thoughts and dark powers and in bondage and addictions that they could not be free from. He set them free from them. He rebuked people who were going, doing wrong things and saying wrong things. He set people free from their sins. 
He convicted them of wrong. He corrected. He encouraged. He guided. Everything that Jesus did that you can read about in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit will do in the life of the church today. And in your life. And my life. And He yearns to do that. I will send you another like unto Myself, even the Spirit of Truth, who will be with you. Preposition. With. I could ask some of these singers if they prefer to sing a cappella or with accompaniment in a difficult piece. What would it be? Accompaniment. Why? Because the music keeps you on key, gives you comfort, strength, encouragement, keeps you in step with the flow, and enables you to, to know if you've gotten off a little bit. It's good to sing with, you know, when I was the rector of a congregation at St. Paul's in, in Bakersfield, California, I led the first part of the service right up by the choir. And I mean to tell you, when I sang with the choir, I sounded like, well, Pavarotti had nothing on me. When I sing by myself, it's don't always get there. But with the surround sound, I mean, it's better than the shower. You, it just echoes all around. And the reason why Jesus said the Spirit will be with you is because you need Him to keep in step. You need Him to say, you've gotten a little bit out of key here, out of sorts. And so, I'm going to keep you in step and around. And, and those times when you, when you feel like you're sinking in deep water, He buoys you up like a life preserver with you. You see, you want the life preserver with you. In fact, you want it on when you're in white water and you come out of the white water raft into the swift waters, you're glad you've got the life preserver with you. He says, I will be with you through the Holy Spirit. But you know, there are times when to be have Him with you is not enough. And that's why Jesus said, and He will be in you. In you because... So many of our problems are inside, deep inside of us. Hurts and and wounds and resentments and unforgiveness that we just carry with us wherever we go. Uh, And you can't get away, you can run, but the more you run, the more it goes with you because it's in you. And the Spirit of God, He's a healing agent. St. Paul says the Spirit searches the deep things of the heart to strengthen the inner man, the inner person. And sometimes the Spirit of God intercedes within us with sighs too deep for words. 
There's times that we don't even know what's troubling us. But it's something deep within us. And there's times when, when we just can't get at what, what it, where the hurt is. And the Spirit of God goes deep within. And takes the Word of God. You see, this is very important. The Spirit of God who caused the Word of God to be written takes the Word of God and applies it to the very places that need His touch. Pierces through the deep places of sinews, muscle and flesh and heart within us. I don't know if I've told this story to you or not, but you know, one of the great preachers of the, uh, the latter part of the 20th century was Fred Craddock, who along with being the pastor of a congregation taught preaching at Emory Divinity School. And one time when he was preaching every Sunday, you don't know, by the way, how difficult it can be to preach every Sunday till you've had to do it. It is tough. He'd been preaching every Sunday and teaching preaching during the week. So when he finally got to vacation, he just wanted to be alone. I know it's hard to believe that a preacher on vacation wants to be alone. But he does. Don't you? Yeah, okay. I mean, you want your wife. You want your wife, Meredith, yes. But, but you don't necessarily want people. Especially people you know. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. We love the, the, the flock, but sometimes you just need a, a little time, a little downtime. So they went up. It was the wrong place to go, but they went up to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And he took his wife into this uh, four-star restaurant. And they were greeted as they came in by this very distinguished Maitre D, gray hair and very distinguished looking. And Dr. Craddock said, you know, sir, we would like just a quiet little table someplace off by ourselves for a quiet evening. So he took them over to this little cubby hole where there was a, a little gas fire burning there on the side. And, and he said, would this do? And Dr. Craddock said, that is wonderful. And, and, and his... Uh, Dr. Craddock's wife sat down and he sat down and, and then the maitre d' asked that horrible question that a preacher doesn't want to hear on vacation. Sir, he said, I didn't catch what you did when you came in. Well, I, Dr. Craddock said, well, that's because I didn't tell you. He says, I'm a professor of homiletics thinking that, that would, would throw him off. But the maitre d' said, homiletics, uh, that's preaching, isn't it? Dr. Craddock thought, I'm stuck. Yes, it's preaching. The maitre d' sat down in the booth beside him and said, Did I, Do I have a story for you? The, the maitre d' said, when, when I was a young boy, I grew up in a small little town in Tennessee. And I was born illegitimately. And at the turn of this century, it's 20th century, early 1900s. The turn of the century, you're born illegitimately in a small town in Tennessee while you're persona non gratis. 
There were times that my mother and I were walking down the sidewalk and people would see us coming down the other side and they'd cross the street in order not to have to deal with us. I never knew who my father was and my mother never talked about it. But when I got to the age of about 10 or 11, I had a hunger for God and we had a one little church in our town and so I started attending. My mother, she believed in God but she didn't think she could go so she never went. But I sat in the back of the church. But I'd always sneak out before the preacher got to the back of the church during the last hymn. One day a new preacher came to town. And I could understand his sermons. And I really kind of liked him. But I'd still always get out before the final hymn. But one day I must have been mesmerized or something by the sermon. And so before I knew it, they were singing the last hymn and I kind of came too. And I thought, I've got to get out of here. The preacher's going to be back here. But when I got up to leave from the back pew, he was already at the door. And I tried to run around him to the right side, and he moved over. So I tried to go around the other way, and he moved over there. And so I tried to go back around that side, and and his hand came down upon my shoulder. And I'll never forget this. He looked down at me with those blue eyes of his, and he said, Young man, who is your father? Oh, that was the question I feared the most in life. Who is my father? And I didn't know what to say. I was tongue-tied. Couldn't say a word. His hand clamping down on my shoulder. And then he looked down again at me and said, Young man, I said, who is your daddy? Oh, I wished the floor would just swallow me up. Swallow me up, please. I just didn't know what to say and couldn't say anything. Then he asked it again. Young man, I said, who is your father? I could feel the blood rushing to my head and my face feeling all red and warm. I could feel the tears swelling up in my eyes. And then, oh, as long as I live, I'll never forget these words. He said, young man, I know who your father is. Why, you have a striking similarity to him. You're you're almost the perfect image of him. You see, young man, your father is the great God Almighty who in his son, Jesus Christ, has made you his child. And He has a perfect plan for your life. He has great things in store for you, boy. And you know, that day, I felt layers of shame wash off of me. And I left that church with a new lilt and a new hope and a new freedom and a new joy. Well, now, Dr. Craddock preacher, knowing a good story when he heard one, said, Sir, I didn't catch your name when we came in here. 
distinguished maitre d' said, My name? Well, my name is Ben Hooper. You may have heard of me because I was at one time the governor of Tennessee. First governor of Tennessee, born illegitimately. But that day, I got credentials. I got a pedigree. I got a family heritage from God Himself. And life's never been the same and I have never been the same. This Spirit of God, He searches the deep things of the heart. He takes the Word of God and He applies it in your life at the place where you need His healing touch. And He's here today. And some of you need to hear His healing Word. Be free. In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, forgive the one who's hurt you and you will set a prisoner free and that prisoner is you. Be healed. In the name of Jesus. And He takes the Word and applies it to the heart and heals. Now, with and in, but there's another preposition, remember? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the Spirit of God wants to empower each of us for ministry. He wants to move us from being churches that maintain to involved in mission. He wants to change us from being self-centered believers to spirit-sent disciples. He wants to move us from being protectors of our own individual turf to players on a common team. He wants to move us from consumers of His grace to communicators of the gospel. And you know, you don't need a Bible uh, out flat hitting people with it. You need the Bible to be read, learned, marked, and inwardly believed and embraced. And then you can take His love out into the world. I have to say, one of the people that, that does this really well is my wife, Allison. She can be at there at the grocery store or some other store at a cash register. And before, well, the way my children put it is you, they'll say, watch, mom will know this person's name, how many children they have, and what's the problem in their life before they're through uh, uh, having rung up her, her uh, purchase. One day we were visiting uh, at Resurrection Surfside, and, and I preached and, and taught and uh, did all sorts of things, but I did it all to people in the church. As we were leaving to go up to another visitation, 
Allison said, oh, I've got to pull in here. I said, why do you have to pull in there? We need to get to the next appointment. She said, just hush up, be quiet. I've got to pull in here. So we pulled into a Dunkin' Donut, and I said, why, why are we pulling in there? We have coffee. She said, I met this woman earlier today when I was getting coffee, and I asked her if she had a church, and she said no, she had just moved into town, and she was looking for a church, and I told her all about Resurrection Surfside, and I said I'd bring her back some material, and here it is. I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I was grieving the Holy Spirit. We can do better. We can all do a little bit better talking about our Lord and our faith and the hope that is in us. You don't need a seminary education to tell someone about a good movie. And a great God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses wherever you go. In, with, and upon. This service of confirmation is all about one thing. The Spirit of God who is with you, in you, coming upon you and sending you out to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spirit sent disciples. Oh, I should say this and I'll shut up. This feast of Pentecost is unlike any other service of the church year. When you come here on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day you don't, to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, you don't expect Jesus Christ to be born again in the flesh. But you celebrate that it happened. When you come here on Good Friday, you don't expect Jesus to be crucified on a cross. But you do celebrate what it brought for you, your salvation. When you come here on Easter Day, you don't expect Jesus Christ to rise again from the dead. But you know the fact that He did gives you eternal life. But when you come here on on this day to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church, you do expect. You do expect that He will come again today upon you. To be in, with, and on. He's alive. And is present. Don't grieve Him. But open your heart. And He'll heal and forgive, convince, convert, transform, and set free our lives. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Revive your church beginning with us. Come upon us. Be with us. And search the deep things of our lives with your healing power and make us whole that we might be Spirit-sent disciples. 
of Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.